you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn uh, with me real quickly uh, to John chapter 1. If you're new to Abilene this morning, we are in a series of studies uh, here that we've entitled Great Expectations. And what we're doing is we're learning how to connect and how to stay connected. And what we're doing is we're sharing with you who are members or soon-to-be members uh, what you can expect from us and then what we likewise uh, expect from you. We started out in Acts chapter chapter 2, laying a foundation for what the church is and what the church does. Uh, because w- when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, if you remember, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the people asked, uh, so what are we supposed to do? And Peter said, repent and be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 42, talks about what was the result of that. Here, here's what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, if you've been with me here over the last several weeks uh, and you're tracking what we're learning, uh, so far in our study, uh, we have seen the Bible's blueprint for corporate worship. In other words, worship is not something uh, that we endure. It's something that we ought to enjoy. Worship is not just an obligation. It is also an opportunity. We are the church, the ecclesia. Uh, We are those who've been called out, called together. One day we'll be called up to worship. And we've also learned about the transforming power of connected community. Look, life is best when it is lived with your church family. Do you understand that? Life is best. I tell people all the time, give your life, invest your life in your local church. It's the only thing that God has promised will endure forever. All the other clubs, all the organizations, all the other extracurricular things that we're involved in are not going to last. The church is the only thing that Jesus has promised that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. So live your life with your church family. I I saw just this past week, guys, the stark reality of that contrast. We've got two families that gave me this illustration this week. On one hand there is a family going through an obviously anxious scary fearful time they're involved in a Sunday school class and their class has come around them and are supporting them they've got the meal train lined up they've got folks lined up to come and take care of their house they are taking care of them and the husband said to me the other night he said if anyone needs an, a, a testimony of just how important it is to be connected and involved and faithful to a Sunday school class, tell them to come see me, and I'll tell you how much of a difference it has made in our life. And then on the other hand, there's a family falling out, leaving, not going to be here anymore because they have not been connected to a class. They have not been faithful to a class. They have not been involved in the class. And they said, we just don't feel connected. Look, if you're not, you won't. Do you understand that? If you're you're not, you won't. And so the church, 
That, that, that it's it's kind of like, remember growing up, um, we would have those fires. We would go to Baptist Boy Scouts, which were called RAs back in those days. Uh, and uh, you, you would have these fires that you would make, and, and you would have these coals. And the illustration is you take one of those coals out of the middle of that heap of coals, set it over on the side all by itself, and what happens? It begins to cool. It begins to no longer burn red. It begins to get dark. That's what happens when you're not in that connected community. And so we've seen the blueprint for corporate worship. We've seen uh, really the uh, transforming power of connected uh, community. And so that church is that place that helps you believe. It's that church that helps you belong and be involved and be what God wants you to be and to become what God wants you to become. And so this week, uh, last week rather, we saw how every believer, every Christian is gifted by God to serve others for their good and for God's glory. By the way, there is nobody else on this earth that can do exactly what you can do in the body of Christ. Do you know that? There is nobody. You are unique. You are special. You are one of a kind. And we have been saved to serve. And if you're not serving, we are suffering. And so this morning, as we pick back up in our series of studies, all that's free uh, and all that's introduction. Uh, this morning, as we pick back up in our series of studies, uh, we're going to move on to that next little icon on the logo, and that is inviting. We've gone from worship and, and, uh, and connection and then our community, and then now this morning we're looking at inviting. What does it look like? We are inviting people not just to Christ, we're also inviting them to church. Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, the Great Commission is still the mission statement of the church. And so that's why we say at Abilene, we exist. The mission of Abilene Baptist Church is to bring people to Jesus and to build them into fully mature, reproducing followers of Christ. Now, there was a young pastor, theology professor, uh, this past week at one of our uh, seminaries, and he got out on social media, what used to be called Twitter, now we just call it X. I, I don't know what you call a post on X anymore, all right? I just don't know what you call it. And, uh, but he put a post out on X, used to be Twitter, and he said this right here. He said, okay, here's a suggested definition for the local church. A local church is the assembly of baptized believers who have covenanted together for regular corporate worship and fellowship. He explains, corporate worship involves preaching and teaching, singing, giving, praying, public reading of Scripture, matters of discipline, etc. Fellowship involves sharing time, resources, and life, burden sharing, honest living, informal discipleship, formation of friendship. And, and I looked at that definition, and I've got to be very honest with you, at first, I thought, man, that's pretty good. I thought about it. I, I ruminated on it just a little bit. And I said, I, I agree with almost everything that he said there. But then I added this in my reply to him. I would hope to see something referring to the Great Commission. Because we've not just been called together for a holy huddle. We have been called together so that we can reach more people for Jesus, Right? And so with all that as introduction, turn over to John chapter 1, if you will, with me this morning. John chapter 1, and what I want to do this morning is I want to get really, really, really practical. Are y'all there this morning? Because you all look really tired. All right, I want to get really practical. If you all look like this all during this message, it's going to, I'm going to be more tired at the beginning than at the end than you are, okay? John chapter 1, let me get really practical with you this morning as we learn from the example of a man by the name of Andrew how we can invite others 
into a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and I'm going to help you to wake up. Stand up, and let's read John 1, beginning in verse uh, number 35 together. This is the halfway stretch. All right, just kind of stretch out there just a little bit, and look there in John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 35, and if you've made your way there, say, uh-huh. And the Bible says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them followed and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question. Why are you here? You say, Because it's Sunday. I'm supposed to be in church. No, 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 no. What is your purpose? What is gives you meaning in life. Let me put it this way. Why didn't God beam you up straight to heaven? Why, why didn't he just rapture you the very second that you gave your life to Jesus Christ? If you don't know the answer, let me give it to you. The reason why you were left here after you came to faith in Jesus Christ is so that you could tell more people about Jesus and take just as many with you to heaven as possible. And so that's one reason why I love the example of Andrew. Andrew fulfilled his mission. Andrew was the first and one of the most foremost soul winners in the Bible. We're not told very much about Andrew, but every single time we read about him in the pages of the Bible, we, every time we see his name, he's always doing the same thing. He's always inviting and introducing others to Jesus. The first time we read about Andrew is right here in John chapter 1. And the Bible says that he brings his own brother, Peter, uh, to Jesus. The second time is over in John chapter 6. And when we read about Andrew there, he's bringing this this, this young boy who has uh, some bread and some fishes uh, to Jesus. The last time we read about him is over in, in John chapter 12 where he introduces some Greek folks uh, to Jesus. And so every time we read about Andrew in the pages of the New Testament, he's always doing the same thing. He's always bringing people to Jesus. Look right here. There is nothing more important in this life than this, inviting and introducing others to Jesus Christ, right? There's Nothing else that's more important. Nothing else matters more than that. Now, Andrew was just a regular, average, run-of-the-mill guy. He wasn't as well-known as his brother Peter. Uh, he didn't preach sermons uh, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Uh, he didn't write books like First and Second Peter. But yet he did one thing that is absolutely vital. He brought Peter to Jesus. Think about that. We would have never heard Peter make that declaration up there at Caesarea Philippi when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We would have never heard him preach that sermon like he did on the day of Pentecost. We would have never 
never uh, even had those books that he had written if it had not been for this faithful personal soul winner named Andrew. Now look there in John chapter 1 at that time when Andrew invited and introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. And let me show you from his example this morning how you too can invite and introduce your family and friends to Jesus as well. So if you're taking notes there this morning, uh, just jot down this first little thing and it's just a simple little reminder. There's the soul winner's responsibility. The soul winner's responsibility. Whether you want to use the word soul winning, whether you want to use the word evangelism, whether you want to use the word witnessing or sharing your faith or sharing the gospel, it's all the same thing. We have a responsibility. As a matter of fact, the great missionary Hudson Taylor put it this way. He said, the great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. So look there in verse 41. Look what it says. He first found his own brother Simon. He first found his own brother Simon. I really don't think that there's a more important verse in all the New Testament than that verse right there. Because every single word in that verse helps us to understand why we should and how we can invite and bring other people uh, to Jesus. Just look at that little first word. He first, the, the word first, just circle that there uh, in your Bible, first. I don't, have, I don't have any doubt that Andrew brought other people uh, to Jesus. I don't have any doubt about that at all. But John says that the very first thing that he did after following Jesus is he went out and he found his brother Peter and he brings him to Jesus. As soon as Andrew was saved, he immediately became concerned with those around them who did not know Jesus. And so what was true in Andrew's life ought to be true in our life. When we are saved, we ought to have a desire to see other people saved. As a matter of fact, uh, John Wesley said, you have one business on earth to save souls. That's your entire business. There was a, a guy who witnessed to a lady in a Boston hotel, and he was sharing the gospel with her. And, uh, and he asked her, you know, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? He, he said, do you know Jesus? He's asking her all these questions, trying to share the gospel with her. And it kind of upset her a little bit, kind of caught her off guard. And she went to her husband, and she told him what this man had said to her. And the husband got a little bit indignant, and he said, well, well didn't you tell him to mind his own business? And she said, well, that's the thing. If you had seen the look on his face, and if you had heard the earnestness in his voice, you would be convinced that it was his business. Our primary business is to, we, is to lead people to Jesus first. The second word there is found. And I don't know how far Andrew had to walk in order to find Peter, but whatever he had to do, he did. He went out and he found his brother Jesus. Uh, he found his brother Peter. And so think about that. The word "found" means that someone or something is lost. Matter of fact, over in Luke chapter sixteen, fifteen uh, has been called God's lost and found. You've got uh, three stories. You've got the, the story of a lost sheep. You've got the story of a lost uh, silver. You've got the story of a lost son and all. All of these three stories make up one parable, and the parable teaches us just how important lost people are to Jesus. Listen to this right here, Luke 15, beginning in verse number 4. Listen to what, what Jesus said. He said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Have you ever lost someone? Parents, you ever lost someone? You ever lost a kid? Our first year here at Abilene, we, uh, we went with the students over to Spring Made Beach for beach camp. And uh, back in those days, Jack was little bitty. Jack is no longer little bitty. Jack's taller than me. His shoes are bigger than mine. He loves to remind me of that. <laughs> and we had gone down to the beach, and we, you know, we've got Laura Kate, we've got Ben, I think at that point. I don't think John was here yet. And, uh, and so Jack is being Jack. Jack, Jack found a, a guy in his 60s down at the beach, uh, at the beach at the water's edge. And uh, Jack's just down there talking to him like they're best buddies. Uh, and uh, we, we've been there for a while, and Jack said he wanted to go use the restroom. And we said, no, you can't just wait. We're about to go anyway. And so I look behind him. He's sitting there about 25, 30 yards behind me. We're trying to get everything, get the baby up, get the whatever we had down there at the beach, the blankets and, the, and everything up, and get the, get the uh, uh, umbrella put back together. And we turn around. And he's gone. You ever had that feeling? And Kim begins to freak out. I'm trying to hold it together. And I said, well, he said he needed to go to the bathroom, so I'm sure he went up into the cafeteria up there. There's a bathroom up there. And so we went into the cafeteria, didn't see him. Went into the bathrooms, didn't see him. Looked all around that area there where he would have been. Didn't see him. At this point, we go and we find the teenagers. Hey, help us find Jack. We, we can't find Jack. He, we, we, we don't know where he is. And it begins to well up in us. And the fear begins to well up inside. And we're looking around. We're running around. And finally, we, we start, let's go back to the beach. We go back to the beach. I find, I find the lifeguard. And I'm asking the lifeguard, help, can you help me find my son? I don't know where he is. And there was this guy who came up. And he said, hey, I, I was a Navy SEAL. Give me a picture of your boy. And I'll help you find him. And so we're scouring. And then we found him. He was at the bathroom. You know where? 150 yards down the beach at the pier because we'd gone down there to get a hot dog and remember there'd be in the bathroom down there you ever had something like that happen to you can I see your hands Folks, as fearful and as worried and as concerned as we are about losing a child like that, that ought to be the thought that is in our mind. That ought to be the feeling that is in our heart. When we look around us and we see our family members and our friends who does not know Jesus Christ and where they'll spend forever. Look right here. Every person we know, every person we love, every person we meet who does not know Jesus, who is lost, if they die lost, they go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. If that truth ever grabs a hold of your heart, then you'll realize the most important thing you can do in this life is to invite and introduce other people to Jesus. First, he found, number three, his own brother, his family. That's important because John doesn't say he went and found his friends. John doesn't say he went and found his co-workers. He went and he found his own Brother. Now, a lot of times it's easier to tell somebody else's brother about Jesus than our own brother, right? But folks, I need you to understand this morning that 
We need to be talking to our brothers and our sisters and, and our moms and our dads and our sons uh, and our daughters. We need to be talking to our own family. The very first ones that we should be inviting and introducing to Jesus are those that were first responsible for our own family. So let me ask you a question. Do you have family members who don't know Jesus? Do you have a son or a daughter or, again, a brother or a sister? Do you have a husband or a wife? Do you have somebody that in your family who does not know Jesus? If they don't, let me ask you a question. What are you doing to invite and introduce them to him? Bill Bright put it this way. He said, there's no higher calling or greater privilege known to man than being involved in helping fulfill the great commission. The very first thing we see here in John chapter 1 is the soul winner's responsibility. Number two, there's the soul winner's testimony because John tells us that Andrew found Peter. That's good. That's good. But what did he do when he found him? Well, look what it says in verse 41. He said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. He found Peter and he told Peter what Jesus had done in his life, and he shared his testimony with him. Never underestimate the tremendous power of your personal testimony when witnessing to your family and your friends. You say, well, what's my testimony? We can put it in three different things. Number one, your testimony is what was your life like before Christ? When, where, and how, what were you doing when you came to Christ? And then what is your life like now that you're walking with Christ? So when you begin to share your testimony with your family and friends, that's what you're doing. Hey, you're supposed to do it. Well, look there in verse 41. Because as you look here at Andrew's testimony, look, look what he did. Look what the Bible tells us. Number one, it's verbal. Look, look in verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him. That reminds me of what? Uh, Luke says over in Acts about when Philip was sharing the gospel with that Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says there that he opened up his mouth and he shared Jesus when he opened up his, his, his mouth. So back in the 90s, John Aldrich wrote a book called uh, Lifestyle Evangelism. And so we, we were trying to figure out new and, uh, new and efficient and, and effective ways of, of winning people to Jesus. And so you had this movement in the 90s called Lifestyle Evangelism. And, and basically what, what Lifestyle Evangelism is, it, it, is, the idea, uh, it, it is the idea that uh, focuses on living a holy, winsome life among unbelievers with the goal of attracting people to the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's important for us to live lives of integrity, right? I think it's important for us to live lives uh, of purity. I think it's important for us to live lives uh, that, that are holy and consistent, but People are not saved by the life you live. They're saved by the life Jesus, Jesus, the death Jesus died. That's how people are saved. And so how are they going to know about that unless we tell them? I think Paul said something about that in Romans chapter 10. Roy Fish turned it around and he put it this way. It's impossible to share Jesus with a zipped lip. You can't share Jesus with a zipped lip. You've got to open up your mouth. One of the things that I notice 
uh, in the New Testament about those who were healed by Jesus and delivered by Jesus and, and saved by Jesus is how they always went and told somebody else. Uh, you had the Gadarene demoniac over there in Luke chapter 8. And the Bible says that Jesus tells him, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way pro and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. You have the, you have the woman at the well. Remember there, the woman at the well? And, and she dropped her water pot and she went running back to town and she said, hey, come see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. You even have a leper who's cleansed in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus says, hey, don't tell nobody. What does he do? He goes and tells everybody. I think that's kind of interesting, right? Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody. He goes and tells everybody. Jesus has told us to tell everybody, and so often we don't tell anybody. Lifeway Research did a, did a survey. They found that 43% of churchgoers believe that it's their responsibility to tell others about Jesus, but like 78% have never witnessed to one person. Not one. You say, well, I'm, I'm just, Pastor, I'm just shy. Pastor, I, I just don't like, I just don't like talking to folks. That's a lie. It all depends on what you're talking about. You'll, you'll have a granny who says, well, I'm just a little on the shy side. Not when, it's, not when it comes to your grandkids. Somebody says, you got any grandkids? Do I have any grandkids? So you, you, you'll, you'll dig around that great big duffel bag that you call a purse. You'll pull, out your, you'll pull out your photo album. You'll get your phone out there. Let me show you my kids. And you'll go on and on and on and on. And Here, here's my kid. Here's my kid. Here's my kid. It all depends on what you're talking about, right? We ought to open our mouth and share Jesus. It's verbal. It's simple. Andrew said it so simply and succinctly, straightforwardly. Look what he said in verse 41. We have found the Messiah. Any, any little Jewish boy or girl knew what he was talking about. They, they've been singing and waiting and talking about the Messiah for thousands of years. And he didn't use great big theological words. He, he didn't spout fancy philosophy. He didn't quote Aristotle. He just talked to him like he normally did. Hey, Pete, you got to see this. You're never going to believe what we found. Hey, hey, come with me. He just talked like he normally would. D.T. Niles said that witnessing is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. It's verbal. It's simple. Number three, it's confident. He was absolutely sure, completely certain. And if there's anything that our world needs today, it, it's a certainty about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. And you say, well, I'm, I'm just not sure that I know enough. What am I going to do if they ask a question I don't know the answer to me? What if they ask me, did Adam and Eve had belly buttons? Or, or, or did, where did Cain get his wife? How, how am I going to know the answer to those questions? Well, let, me, let me give you what Matt Queen, my buddy, who was the uh, professor of evangelism out at Southwestern Seminary, he's the dean of the School of Evangelism out there, the chair of fire. He says this, if you know enough of the gospel to be saved, you know enough of the gospel to tell somebody else how to be saved. It's verbal, it's simple, it's confident, and then it is wise because he knew how to get Peter's attention. 
He knew what spoke to him and connected with him. He knew, again, that, that every Jewish boy was, was looking and waiting for the Messiah. Again, they've been looking and waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. They had been waiting. And so Andrew realized who Jesus was, and he followed him, and he knew that that one word would get Peter's attention. Here's what he said. We have found the Messiah. And here's what it means. It means that when we are witnessing the people, we find things that they're interested in in order to make a connection, in order to be able to share the good news of the gospel with them. When I was at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary doing my master's, Dr. Gray Allison, the president of the seminary, taught personal evangelism every semester. It was a required course for all the students. And in there, he would give us little ways of how to connect with people. For example, if you're talking with a teacher and you've got a pen uh, or you got a piece of paper and a, and a pencil there and you're writing on, the, uh, writing on the page and you make a mistake and you, you turn it around and you use the eraser and, and you go, hey, aren't you thankful for erasers? Aren't you thankful for erasers? I mean, if you make a mistake, you can just erase that mistake like, like it's never happened. Can I tell you how to have your sins erased? You get pulled over by a police officer when you drive a little fast like some of y'all do. Uh, and you get pulled over and as he's walking away you go I thank God for you you're a minister of God he turns around and says I'm a minister of God yeah Romans says that those in authority are, are ministers of God do you know God you're at the bank and you're talking and you want to witness to the bank president and you start talking about debts and, and forgiveness and talk about how Jesus has forgiven your debt you make that connection in order to share the good news of the gospel with them there's the soul winner's responsibility and there's the soul winner's testimony lastly there's the soul winner victory because Andrew had a desire to see Peter come to Jesus and he shared his testimony with him and he found out that he had found the Messiah he made a connection with Peter based uh, on, on his interest and then he shared with him who Jesus was and what he came to do but he wasn't done and I, I think that's the problem with a lot of people today a lot of folks today like giving information who Jesus is and he rose from the dead and He's born of a virgin. He's coming back. Have you read the book of Revelation? Let's talk about the book of Revelation. They give all kinds of information. But folks, after we have given the information about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we need to give an invitation and make an introduction with Jesus. Mid-America, personal evangelism. Our witnessing didn't count unless and until we asked them this question, will you give your life to Jesus? Would you like to be saved? Look what, it, look what Andrew did, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And I love this about Andrew. He didn't just tell him to come to Jesus. He personally invited him to come and see Jesus, and then he made the introduction. And the fact of the matter is, is that the vast majority of people who are saved to become Christians do so because somebody invites them and somebody introduces them to Jesus. One preacher put it this way. He said, Andrew became a human link in the chain to bring his lost brother to the Savior. You say, well, did it make a difference? You bet it did. Look down there in verse 42 as we close. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. 
Look right here. There are people all around us like Peter. Some are family and some are friends. Some we work with. Some we hang out on the fence every night at football practice. Some were on those teams that travel too often on Sundays. We have people all around us who are like Peter who do not know Jesus. What are you doing to invite them and introduce them to him? This morning, I'm going to help you because you may be a little nervous. I I get it. Not everybody's bashful like I am. When you walk out of the room this morning, there are tables at the exits and there are little things that we want to put in your hands that I want to ask you to use this week. One is just a simple invite to ask somebody to sit by you at church. On the back, it has the service times and locations. And I'm going to ask you to take a couple of these with you this week. Pray about whom the Lord would have you this very week to invite to sit by you next Sunday in church. Also out there are tracks. This is one of them, the eternal life track. And just to be able to give this to somebody, walk through it with them, read it to them, read it with them, and help to see if you can have that opportunity in order to introduce them to Jesus this week. I hope that you'll take one of these with you today because here's the thing and I'm done. All around us are people who are lost, and they're dying and they're going to hell. Do you care enough to at least invite them and introduce them to Jesus?